Hey, this is Maggie. And this is James. And you're listening to Directors on Tap. The podcast where we sit down weekly to discuss film industry news, new favorites, and what we're watching. Today we're talking about Lupin and WandaVision, as well as a new film page that is up and running. Hope you like the show. Wow, adding stuff to my (laughs) script. I figured you could cut it out if you don't like it. (laughs) Mags, tell me about Lupin. So Lupin um, is a story that follows professional thief Hassan Diop, and he's the only son of an immigrant from Senegal who had come to France to seek a better life for his child. However, early on during their stay in France, Hassan's father is framed for the theft of an expensive diamond necklace by his employer. Hassan's father is employed by the wealthy and powerful Hubert Pellegrini. It's a good show. It is. It is very good. Um... We watched it in English because Mags is insane and doesn't want to watch subtitles. Um, Okay, but I like subtitles like like Parasite. Like we watched that obviously in Korean. It's it's original language, but it with English subtitles, Uh which I I liked. But like for this thing, I don't know. I I felt bad. I feel like. I felt bad, but I'm also like it kind of takes away from like me watching the film instead of and paying attention to the acting because then I'm like mm-hmm. look, reading the captions. I can I can see that too. I don't know. I just uh, I don't know. I it just it was it was bothering me. But it, I mean, they did a good job on the dub too. I mean, every once in a while there was yeah. a line where you could clearly like, wow, this line this this phrase is so much longer in French because there'd be like a gap. Um, every yeah. once in a while when they would talk, but yeah, um, I thought it would be worse. Like I thought it'd be more noticeable. Yeah, it was. It was but, actually uh, yeah. pretty well done. Um, yeah, yeah. So what I really liked about it were like the flashbacks and like how they were placed, and I guess that goes like hand in hand with the pacing too, because it never felt like it was like dragging on. Um, and like it introduces new characters and new hit- hints at like a nice pace, so it was like. It was never not, like, interesting to watch. It was, like, there was no, like, dragging, like I said before, so it was nice. Yeah, and, like, how you touched on the, with the flashbacks and introducing new characters, I thought their introduction of each new character was very well done, um, because you didn't even always, what's the way to put it? It wasn't always immediately clear, like, oh, this is a new character we have to pay attention to. Like, they would just slowly slip them in, and then they'd become apparent that you needed to pay attention to them by the time they were plot relevant. I, I'm thinking yeah. specifically of like the the commissioner guy in modern time, not commissioner, whatever, the the detective. He was was he a commissioner by the time we got to modern day? He was he wasn't a detective yeah, anymore. Uh, Yusuf? He was something else. Are you talking about the cop who was like the head of the Yeah. He was trying to figure out what um like Hassan's Yeah. Um and like the way like you first get introduced to him with the flashbacks and you think like um, or at least I had the time oh, no, when we first. That's the home. other guy. I thought you were talking about the um the one who's like thinks mm. he Asan's doing that like uh story. Oh no, no, no. I'm that, talking about the guy like who, the lead. The not detective yeah, the, guy, the guy who yeah. was a detective in the past and is now in charge. Yeah. 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 Um oh, what was his name? Um I can't recall, but um he's I like like his introduction of the character where first you're just introduced in flashbacks and you're just like you just think he's like, oh, a background character. Then he gets a little bit more prevalent in the flashbacks. Then he gets very prevalent in the present. Um, 
Like they didn't just sort of, it's not like they didn't go for like the traditional boom, massive introduction for each new character where you're like, this is clearly a new character you got to pay attention to. They were like, hey, they're organically a part of this world. And as they become relevant, they grow in screen time. And I, I liked that yeah. a lot. thought that was very um, good world building. Um, I was trying to find the name of the detective. Yeah. Any luck? What was his name? Oh, Dumont. Oh, Dumont. Professor Dumont. Not Professor. Dumont. Detective Dumont. <laughs> um, Dumont. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, and also, yeah. by the way, we're also going to be pronouncing Lupin wrong basically the whole time because we don't speak French. It's supposed to be Lupin, but we're... We speak English, <laughs> yeah. so we say Lupin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I also wrote down, like, I, I really liked the editing and, like, cinematography, because I think, mm -hmm. like, the, like, intense scenes had more of, like, an edge because of the editing and, like, the close-up shots that they would, like, add in. Um, like, specifically with the, um, when he's bidding on the necklace, and mm -hmm. then, um, what was the other one? I think it was, like, when... Hassan's father is like getting um detained for um supposedly stealing the mm -hmm. necklace, but um, yeah. Speaking of like how you mentioned the cinematography looking nice, um, do you know? Because uh, I don't know off the top of my head, I should have looked it up. But now that it's now that it's in my mind, uh, if Netflix uh, produced the show or if they just bought the rights to it in the U.S. Because one of the things that I was a little concerned about just in general of Netflix shows that I've been noticing. And I think it may be just a Netflix produced thing, but um, cause with the cinematography and the show being very nice, um, that's not true of a lot of Netflix shows. Like I was watching the Witcher and it looks like a soap opera, like everything's so well done, but the cinematography is so bad. And I was mm -hmm. worried like when we were watching other Netflix originals that like yeah. it would have subpar cinematography like that. But really? Yeah, because I've noticed it with a lot of different shows, like even um, Series of Unfortunate Events, which I, I loved that book series growing up. And I I loved, so I, of course, had to watch the show, but it was the same thing. I was like, this has that Netflix show look in the cinematography. So I'm wondering if that's just the ones that Netflix straight up owns or if maybe, and the reason why Lupin doesn't look like that is maybe they just bought the rights to it and didn't actually produce it. Um, which I don't know. I'm just wondering. Like that just popped in my head. Like I bet that's why the cinematography mm. was so much nicer because Netflix wasn't in charge of making it. Um, I don't know what's going on with their cinematography department at Netflix. <laughs> I mean, there's some exceptions, like Stranger I, Things. I feel a, like I don't think I've noticed that. Yeah. See, so yeah, that's what that's what popped into my head with Stranger yeah, Things. Yeah, Stranger Things is definitely um, an exception to that. Black Mirror. Well, they bought um, Black Mirror. Black Mirror wasn't yeah. Black Mirror was originally a Brit British TV show, so they have the same crew working on it from before. Um, so that's that's yeah. Why. I don't think I know enough about the like rates and stuff to know which ones were yeah. done by Netflix. Or what, yeah. like I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Well, Black Mirror they own Black Mirror now, but when the first two or three seasons, I think they were just licensing it, but now they just straight up own it. Um, but yeah, so and things, but I've noticed it's definitely bad with. Yeah, like the most prevalent one in my mind, just because I was watching it recently, was The Witcher. Where I was like, these sets look amazing. The cast is good. The cinematography is awful. <laughs> but and I'm sorry if the cinematographer is ever listening to this. But I don't know what you were doing, bro. <laughs> like, I'm sure your other stuff's great, but this wasn't it. Um, but yeah, this they looked very nice. Everything's very well lit and shot well. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Definitely. I guess, like, the one thing I didn't say about the flashbacks was, like, I love how, like, we got a sense of how bad Asan wants revenge on Pellegrini through mm-hmm. the flashbacks. And, like, the way... And then, like, the way he acts in present time. Yeah. Because they're, like, totally, um, I guess, opposites. But because, like, the flashbacks are when he's a kid and he's more, like, mm-hmm. reserved and um, shy. But then but then we, like, see, like, what, what was bothering him through, like, mm-hmm. the interactions with uh, Dumont. and But then in, like, real time, we see him again. So, I don't know. It's... It's a good uh, variety, and I just really liked the uh, the dynamic between those, yeah. those two different times. And um, with those two different times, also how you mentioned that there are is like the variety between them. I at the same time, it was totally you know sometimes when they do flashbacks like before and after, they just don't even feel like the same character. He still felt like yeah. they preserved like the essence of who he was in both the past and the present, even when he's so different. Um, yeah, which isn't always accomplished. So, like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that also is probably a testament to like how they like place them too. Mm-hmm. Um, like how often they go back to the flashbacks because sometimes they're like randomly placed and then it feel like, uh, like jumbled, so mm-hmm. like kind of. So I, I feel like it's probably also, um, because of the way that they place them. They had good casting choices too for the younger versions of each character. Um, yeah. I thought the casting was pretty great, yeah. So we also just watched WandaVision um, yesterday. We binge-watched um, all four episodes that are out right now, but they they are released weekly, so one came out last night. Um, but we haven't seen that one and, yet. Yeah, we haven't seen that one yet. We'll be talking about that one and the one that comes out next Friday um, in the next episode. But WandaVision... Um, it basically blends the style of classic sitcoms with the MCU, in which Wanda and Vision, two superpowered beings living their ideal suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. Yep. Mysterious. Yeah. And um, something that I, I was talking to Mags a little bit about was uh, this was sort of like an interesting TV show for me to watch because, well, neither of us are that big into Marvel. Um, I completely lost interest in Marvel uh, right after um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Not because I didn't like it. That's probably my favorite Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy. I just checked out after that and of the MCU. And Mags, you said similarly, like you just aren't that into Marvel. Yeah, well, I was telling you, I think that they they had their prime. Mm -hmm. And it was like kind of when Spider-Man and... um, what else was there? Like, Infinity I guess War. Hulk too. Yeah. Um, and now, yeah, I just think they've they've left their prime. Yeah, I, I think most people would agree Marvel's no longer in its prime, especially after the Infinity War saga and all that. That was sort of what they've yeah. been leading up to since like 2012. So they're like, what do we do now? Um, yeah, I wasn't even interested in seeing those movies. Yeah, like, I didn't they see came either. Out of them. And I was just like, okay. Yeah, cool. I didn't see either of them yet. Which I'm sure some of our listeners are like. What the hell? How have you not seen those? I know. But I've seen Infinity War. I have. Um, yeah. There's a lot going on in it. Like mm-hmm. it's very. It feels like they combined like five different movies. Yeah. So I think that's why I was kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. Um. It was a nice wrap up, I guess. But it was. Yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah. Wandavision. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, the first thing I want to say 
And I I told James I I wanted to tell him this yesterday, but I wanted to save it for the podcast. That this a certain scene gave me like total Twilight vibes, because so it's the, the scene where they walk um out into their driveway to like see what the noise is, um and the beekeeper emerges from the sewer in the street. Oh, you meant Twilight Zone. Sequence, yeah, Twilight Zone. Yeah, I was like I Twilight. Twilight Zone. No, you said it gave you Twilight vibes. No, just Twilight. Yeah. Okay, Twilight Zone. That's what I meant. Um, that that specific scene, um, I, agree. I was just like, that could totally be its own like Twilight Zone episode. I, they might have been going for that, honestly, because wasn't that in their '60s episode, the early '60s? Oh one? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was probably intentional, where they were like, let's add some Twilight Zone. It definitely stuff. was. It's it was it gave me so many uh, mm-hmm. Twilight Zone vibes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for those guys, I mean, we mentioned it's sort of based off like sitcoms of different eras, but for those of you guys who don't know the more specifics of that. Um, they're literally shot and edited as though it was a sitcom. The first episode from the 50s, then from the 60s, then from the 70s. Um, that's as mm-hmm. far as we've gotten so far. Um, and then into the, oh, well, I that's guess that's a spoiler. Spoilers for after that. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, and so and it, they did a really good job of emulating each era. Um, one of my gripes, and it's definitely just a budget concern that with it, with it was the animated intro of episode two where they wanted to do like a 60s style animation Mm -hmm. um they nailed the art style of it it looks super 60s but you could also at least i could uh clearly tell it was like puppet rigged animation and not hand drawn and i was like that did not exist in the 60s (laughs) um but yeah it kind of felt like um i i i don't know what like jacket is popping into my uh, head like because like it wasn't um it just seamless. Yeah, just you could tell it wasn't hand animated. Even if they got the art style yeah. right, it was not old school animation, and that sort of yeah. threw it off a bit. Um, and it was too I crisp. Agree, yeah. yeah, like you couldn't see the like '60s animation. You could see like the 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 um, the pen lines and the paint lines in the animation because you know they were literally photographs of hand drawn shit um, or stuff. <laughs> so. Okay, so I really liked the writing because it's very like witty and obviously it takes itself seriously because it's a sitcom. Um, but then when the like the outside world interjects, we get more of like a dramatic show um, with like, I guess almost like self-deprecating comedy, especially with the Darcy character that's like the astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's like a variety. Like I like the the dynamic between the different time periods i agree i like um it was also just neat when they what's the way to say it without giving spoiler context the uh showing the 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 newer time period uh it's such a difference in how it's shot and everything um it's it's definitely Mm -hmm. straight up classic like marvel look to it once they get to that um and I think you mentioned that they use like a ton of different lenses. So if I had to guess. Yeah, so they, oh, they sorry, use 47 yeah. different lenses. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming that probably went into they use different lenses for each era. That's what I would have done. I would have been like, okay, if we're shooting 50 style, let's get some 50s television lenses. Um, actually, no, you couldn't use a television lens. You'd have to use a film lens because uh, television technology was incompatible with film technology at that time. Um, so, Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a I have a quote from uh, Jess Hall, who's the director of photography. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess it's it's more about the look, not the specific lenses, but mm-hmm. he said the approach was to study and absorb the references of each period to distill their technical and aesthetic choices and then to selectively apply and to filter these within our own stylistic sensibility. The objective is to create images that are in a sense truly postmodern, not simply an homage to the past. This is what the complex narrative of one division demanded. I think they pulled it off very well. One of the things that really stood out to me for them like nailing the aesthetic um was when he goes to i think it's the city hall or whatever they're having like the city uh a city, the um town watch meeting in there you remember that scene um, where he's like new business and then he tries to like make like a serious discussion of like new business and he's like no 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 new business means like another round of danishes or whatever i um, think so yeah yeah so yeah. when he's walking up to the building and they have the shot like straight from head on um and it's clearly just like a facade type thing with the steps built in Mm -hmm. for him to walk up to and i was like i've seen that shot in so many 50s 60s things like it's perfect yeah like ideal everything from twilight zone to monsters oh sorry keep what were you saying no i just like when they do that kind of stuff yeah so they definitely nailed that because i've seen that exact shot in so many so many different disparate shows like uh everything from the monsters to um to Twilight Zone. So it's definitely a period accurate, uh, both set and the way to shoot that set. Yeah, the, um, he also said that the like 1950 to 1970s episodes were shot with like period tungsten lighting. And Ooh. then the LED, LED lighting doesn't like make an appearance in, until the later 2000 episodes. Nice, nice. All right, I like that. Yeah. That's uh, sort of like what... Uh, what Kubrick did for Barry Lyndon, where he was like, LEDs and, oh, actually, they would use tungsten, but he was like, tungsten didn't exist in the 1700s. We're shooting in candlelight like a madman. <laughs> the other thing I was going to just say real quick about the lenses was like, I, well, first, I really liked the production design. Like, I thought it was fantastic. Very well done. Um, and then, so he, Jess, um, Jess Hall, he said that he used the a lot of the lenses they used were um, from the like different time periods, but then they also used modern ones that were altered for his own style. Okay. So I I don't know I like I like that they used both because it's mm-hmm. like it's not like they were trying to totally recreate the past, but they were also trying to use like their own styles. So I think they did a good job of like mm-hmm. balancing that. Yeah, it's like they. Um... What's the word for it? They they made it their own, basically. They didn't yeah. They didn't just strictly copy. They yeah yeah definitely. So that's that's good. Um, even though there's like clear influences, it's not like it doesn't feel uninspired. Basically, it doesn't feel like just yeah. a rip off. Um, for the sake yeah. of yeah. So, I also liked how they did like the the changes of um, aspect ratios. Oh, especially yeah. like towards the end of the show or end of the episodes mm-hmm. um and they would like linger on certain shots and then uh have these like pull outs and it was very like mysterious so i just like really liked the way they edited that yeah um i really loved the uh with the marvel intro going back and where it starts out with the whatever it is the widescreen um the cinemascope aspect ratio and then like as it's becoming as you were able to read marvel studios it's as it's pulling out mm-hmm. the things, the aspect ratio is shrinking and going mm-hmm. into black and white. And so it gets to four by three. And yeah. I just thought that was 
super nicely done. It looked very aesthetically pleasing. And uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I, I like that they don't just like like jump cut to the next aspect ratio. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah, uh, it's like a smooth transition. Yeah, and it's like a well done smooth transition too. It's not like it. The change of the transition fits what's actually in on screen. Like the yeah. yeah, the different motions mesh well together. It's not like it doesn't feel just tacked on. Like oh, let's add a stretching in and out thing on top of this random shot. It's like no, you yeah. can tell they planned it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So did we have anything else about Wandavision, or do you want to move on to Passengers? I guess we'll move on to Passengers. All right. So which Passengers are we talking about, Mags? We there's several movies called Passengers. <sighs> Definitely not the one with Anne Hathaway that has like 2% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> All right. So we're talking um, about the uh, the one starring uh, Chris Pratt and um, Jennifer Lawrence. Yep. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yep. Yeah. We watched that two nights ago. That sounds right. Um, yeah. And yeah, we, I think I was just like, saw something on twitter about it and then um i'd already seen it multiple times but james hadn't seen it and i first of all i was very surprised that it has was it 30 percent? i think it was 40 i think it was 40 40 percent on rotten tomatoes like that's i think it was 30 percent 30 i mean i would give it yeah. like a i'd give it like a 50 it wasn't bad yeah, so but it wasn't I, particularly good either it was like yeah it's like decent yeah it was 30 like, percent. it was 30 damn it's like the type of movie you could just put on and be like yeah why not but i'm not like excited for it um yeah like it wasn't special but it was i yep. thought it was a decent movie i didn't think it deserved 30 percent. Yeah. like there wasn't anything poorly done about it is what i'd say there was nothing bad there just wasn't anything particularly like oh that's really good um yeah oh yeah i want to know where they got well spoilers not this isn't a spoiler because i'll take out the context but uh there's some things made out of wood and i don't know if where would have they have gotten all that wood from <laughs> are you talking about the end yeah there's some wooden structures well because um remember how he planted the tree yeah but we see that's only been like what uh maybe 50 years between the yeah, I mean they they probably <laughs> broke down things in that um that garden area. Remember oh, I forgot. There's huge, a garden like, area, right? Right. Because he went in there to get roses for her, and then that's where he like got the tree. Yeah. Idea. All right. Yeah, I, I think forgot that was about probably. You're right. I forgot about the garden. That makes yeah. sense now. Okay, so I guess yeah. that's where they got the tree, the wood from. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I liked the robot. Um, I think there was a pretty clear shining influence in that, and especially when the way Which he was robot? introduced. Oh, the uh, the bartender robot. What was his name? Uh, oh, um, his name was. Um, yeah, but while Mags is looking up his name, basically he's he's dressed in red, just like in The Shining. When they introduce it, it's shot the same way as The Shining, where it's like the side uh, tracking from the side as he enters. Mm -hmm. um, you see the empty room, and then there's just the bartender there, and then you realize something's not right about him. Uh, you know, except instead of him being a ghost, he's a, a robot. <laughs> so, um, his name is Arthur. Arthur. Um, 
Was that what uh, it yeah, was? Yeah, I was okay. actually, I was going to point that out, the the whole sidetracking shots. That's what gave me the, um, I guess the way the bar was lit, um, the way the bartender's dressed, but also the, the specifically the sidetracking shots reminded me mm-hmm. of The Shining. Yeah, it was definitely, yeah. the cinematographer at least was definitely thinking Shining. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, what else is there to say about Passengers? Like we said, there's not much to it. And uh, uh-oh, Maggie is frozen. Uh-oh. Oh no! Okay, you're unfrozen. You're yeah, good. Yeah, you're frozen too. Uh oh. Um. Yeah. Okay. What else do we got to say about passengers? Uh. I mean, like we said, there's not much to it. There's not much bad about yeah. it, but there's not much to I it guess either. There, there are like two messages. One was like obviously the whole thing about like the ethics with like mm-hmm. waking her up. Then the other thing was, um, there's some quote like, uh about not wishing you were somewhere else but like making the most of where you are something like that yeah so i guess i i like that message that they they played with and then they ultimately ended up going with at the end with just like them living on the on the ship yeah it seemed like the uh the writers if i had to guess like what the writers were trying to go for in terms of like the ethics of it i feel like they were probably going for i mean i don't even know if they'd they probably wouldn't use this terminology for it but um, it seemed very uh, Augustinian where they were like, hey, well, even though this was an objectively bad thing to do and all that, um, even horrible actions can not be made permissible, but be uh, work out for the best in the end. Uh, yeah. And I, it seemed like that, that type of principle was in play, uh, at least in the writer's mind, uh, that where he was like, yeah, no, this is horribly... Because the writers made it clear it was something he should not have done, even though it led to something. Uh, the term for it's usually Felix culpa, a happy a happy fault. It's like something horrible happened; it shouldn't have happened, but it led to something that otherwise would not have happened. That was arguably better than if that bad thing had not have happened. I we also after the after we watched the movie, I was like looking up um, articles about it, and we. <laughs> I went through this whole article about how they were talking about um, like Stockholm Syndrome mm-hmm. and how the movie is like, what were they saying about it? They were saying that the movie is basically Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah. So for people who don't uh, recall what Stockholm Syndrome is, it's when someone falls in love with or gets attached to their uh, kidnapper. That's Stockholm right. Syndrome. Yeah. And so like, first of all, he didn't kidnap her. <laughs> and second of all... She, what did what were we talking about? How she like she doesn't she already knows that he, like that he woke her up. So it's not like, and she's mm-hmm. still like she's still in love with him. So it's like, yeah, that's and, not really a. Mm-hmm. And another thing about Stockholm syndrome is it's partly dependent on the fact that the person who's kidnapped is dependent on their kidnapper, and that's what psychologically starts developing and doing affection because they're like oh this person takes care of me uh yeah. if you've seen the film that doesn't happen she's completely independent of him for like it's implied for like months probably um, yeah they don't even I mean, talk she's to each like, other yeah she is <laughs> like he doesn't even extremely upset yeah she doesn't even he there there's so little contact between them that he doesn't even know that she was locked in a room for two days at one point they mentioned that uh her did they yeah, she mentions that uh, her door malfunctioned and she couldn't get out of the room for two days. And he was like, that happened? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> like, 
Wow, so, wait, I don't remember that. Yeah, I just thought that was like a nice little line illustrating like, yeah, they had absolutely no regard for each other during this time. So yeah. that's sort of a key aspect of Stockholm Syndrome that literally was not present, where they had no contact, they were uh, completely independent of each other. So if if she had been dependent on him, then I could see the argument, but that's a pretty big factor of Stockholm Syndrome that's cut out of the equation. Yeah, and eventually when she does like forgive him, it's when he is doing a selfless act. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's totally not related to that. So in the beginning, he's self selfish by waking her up. And by the end, he's selfless because he's, he's basically giving up his life to save hers. Yep. He grows. <laughs> yeah. He grows so as I, a person. I liked that. I, I really liked the messages that they played with. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why people thought it was bad. I, well, I think a lot of people just can't get over the the culpa part yeah. of Felix culpa. They're like, no, no, bad thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like, all right, move on from that. Yes, it was bad. It shouldn't have happened. Now there's good things happening. Um, I guess, I guess if I was thinking of like maybe the critics, um, maybe the critics think that the the plot was like because there's when i'm thinking of the movie as a whole like sometimes the plot felt like um i don't know dry or just like not as developed mm-hmm. i think that's... like it felt like it was like surface level sometimes and they it wasn't like uh very like detailed i think that I might also be a little bit down to the pacing because i feel like they dragged yeah, out plot points that shouldn't have been dragged out if that makes sense yeah mm, and they I could, agree. yeah yeah so it made it made the less developed parts or the parts that didn't even need more developed that just didn't have to be feel underdeveloped perhaps because we're lingering on it longer than we should have if that does that make sense to you yeah i think or i could be wrong no i agree i'm just trying i'm trying to think what scenes those were i feel like they were probably like the bar scenes because i feel mm-hmm. like we saw him in the bar a lot oh yeah a whole lot um obviously the like a lot of the dialogue there with arthur was important like the things that he brought up um especially with the like uh making the most of where you are and stuff but i yeah i feel like there were there were definitely some scenes that didn't need to be in there mm-hmm. or even just trimmed down or, or even little. shortened yeah. yeah or yeah um, just trimmed the other thing that i wanted to touch on a bit was the sort of blending of sci-fi aesthetics that was in this film because like the exterior of the ship felt almost like alien to me um mm-hmm. the, for those who i mean like the movie franchise alien not like alien as in foreign um because it had that creepy semi-organic but dark and scary looking type of spaceship which was strange because that was not the interior of the spaceship at all the interior was very like that classic like interstellar 2001 sci-fi aesthetic where everything's clean white futuristic um and not grungy at all uh, so it was a weird mishmash of aesthetics for the inside and the outside of the ship um i felt like the outside of the ship honestly didn't fit the story that much um it was a cool design yeah. but i was like yeah, this it's maybe if you even if they didn't make the outside of the ship black like it just looked evil it looked like yeah, I I agree. I think the like what is getting me with that is like ship like in sci-fi movies the the ships that are like um that are like the good side 
they're always like spherical or like rounded mm-hmm. or like kind of like that. And then the the alien ships are always like pointed and jagged and like drawn out, like um, I guess almost like sword like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which this ship totally looked like that. It kind of looked like um, some type it, of drill. I can't think of the name. Like yeah, it looks like um, um, what's his name in Avengers? The uh, the he has like long black hair. He's like the the bad guy. Um, Loki, something Loki. Loki, would... Loki. I he has like a the the staff. The staff. <laughs> For some reason, the that the staff, the the top part of it is kind of shaped like a a flame, uh-huh. sort of. And for some reason, that reminded me of the ship and passengers. I don't know why, but... I can see the resemblance. So, yeah. yeah. So, I think, like, that's totally... Um, totally looks like like an alien ship, for sure. Yeah. It Yeah, it was just that slightly unsettling evil look. Um, and, yeah, it just didn't, didn't really match the rest of the aesthetic of the, of the film. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to touch on was that I just started a new film page on Instagram, um, and it's called Cinemersed, S-I-N-E-M-E-R-S-E-D, which I will tag in the description. Um, but so it, the tagline is immerse yourself in cinema. And basically I, I try to post like once or twice a day, um, as like a regular post and it'll usually be like a scene from a movie with like cool facts about it, um. Or things that, like, were changed um, with the scene or something with, like, maybe the directors or actors. Um, And then I also try to post on the Insta stories with things like comparing actors and actresses or, like, who you liked better in in different movies. Like, kind of like this or that type of thing. So, um, It's a good page. You should check it out. Check it out. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Directors on Tap. Next week, we'll be discussing more WandaVision episodes, Bank, to Five Bloods, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. As always, you can head over to our Instagram or Twitter page, at Directors on Tap, to stay up to date with releases of new episodes and get some behind-the-scenes content. There will also be a link in the description for our new film page, at Cineburst. That's all. See you next Friday for more film talk.